When I was in college, the Lord laid on my heart to begin a youth-slash-college band for the church I attended while I was in college. A kind of a way to help out. It was going to play for our youth group. And so that ended up being quite a task to get started. We had an open call where we just invited anybody that wanted to come join the band. We said, hey, we're going to meet on this day. Come and join the band. And at the end of those meetings and talking to people and had some of them practice for us so we can see what they did, we had four, we had, sorry, six, because I forgot about me and Ashley included, six lead melody singers. And that was it. We were a band of six melody singers. Now, we were pretty unified. We sounded pretty good together, but y'all would admit a band of just six lead singers probably is not a very good band. And so we had some work to do. Well, it was kind of obvious, uh, me and Ashley being two of the lead singers and four other girls that were younger than us, it was kind of obvious that I should not be a lead singer. Because let me tell you what, the, the point of the band was to attract people to the group, not to drive them away. So it was pretty obvious I needed to step down as one of the lead singers. And so I got on the drum set and I tried to play. And I learned something else about myself. I'm not a very good drummer either. <laughs> I can't keep beat with my foot, especially. Well, actually, she kind of meandered over there, and she sat behind the drums, and she started to play, and we realized Ashley is a gifted, naturally gifted drummer. And so, boom, she's not, no longer the lead singer. She's our drummer. I slid over to the guitar. That worked out well, but we still had four melody singers, lead singers. Well, two of those girls were awesome at finding harmony parts, and we have people in this church that's like that, too. You don't even have to know the song. And somehow you know what the harmony part is. Two of the girls were like that. So there we go. We were like, okay, you two are going to sing harmony because you can do that magically. And then the last girl we found out had some piano instruction, so we moved her over to keyboard. And so at that point, we had a band. And the thing was, we weren't all playing the same part. We weren't all doing the same thing. But we were unified. In fact, we, our unity even sounded better because we had diversity. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and in verses 1 through 16, Paul is talking about the body of the Christ and how to have a healthy body of Christ, which is the church. And just like our bodies, when we have something a little bit go wrong, like a sprained muscle or arthritis, you feel it, and your whole body and your whole of day gets affected. You know, you sleep wrong, you get a crick in your neck, and the rest of the day is difficult. Um, that's how the body of Christ is, too. If you have one little part's not working right, you feel it. I mean, have you ever been to a church where you just felt tension and pain in that church? And so we listen to Paul, and in these chapters and these verses, he gives us this one quality, at least this one quality, that churches must emphasize, and that quality is unity. And we can sit there and go, well, we, we like unity because we try not to have any disagreements. Or we like unity, we try to make sure everybody's best friends. Or we like unity, we try to make sure everybody's happy all the time. But when you look at verses 1 through 16, we see that that's not a true biblical definition of unity. That unity involves being in our oneness, but it also involves working in our diversity and our differences too. And so as we go into these verses 7 through 13... The, the problem or the challenge we have is when you come to church, do you want church to be exciting? Do you want church to be uh, 
feel fun? Do you want to feel like you're getting filled, your children are getting filled, your grandparents, your grandkids are getting filled? Do you want church to feel like it's worth it? Well, those are things that are resolved when we look at what Paul says in these verses. So I'm going to read these to you, and um, let's actually start, if you have your Bibles with us, in verse 6. Just to give you some context, go to verse 6. It says, We have one God and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives, and he gave gifts to people. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? It says, he also descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he who descended is himself also who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So in verses 1 through 6, Paul has just talked about how we achieve unity by emphasizing our oneness. He says, hey, we need to think differently about ourselves. We need to think with humility. We need to think differently about others. We need to think with patience. And we need to think about our, differently about our one faith, the oneness of our faith and the oneness of our mission. But then immediately in verse 7, he flips the coin over and he essentially says, yes, we have so much oneness in Christ. But on the other side of the coin, God also has purposefully given us diversity. He's purposely given us differences. And he's going to talk about how we achieve this unity through our differences in verses 7 through 16. Now, I had a hard time when I was preparing the sermon this week, just so you all know, because 7 through 16 is so packed with stuff that needs to be explained and pointed out. And um, I had a couple of options. One option was to breeze through everything quickly and still take about 40, 45 minutes. The other option was to cut the thing in half, take our time, go a little bit slower, and get you out in time to go to Mikasita before the flow church gets there. I asked Ashley what we should do, and so therefore we're ending at verse 13. <laughs> you can thank her. So we're going to do 7 through 13 today, and then we'll finish up. You've got to come back next week to hear the very end of this in verses 14 through 16. So in verse 7 uh, and 8, Paul points out that we um, have been given gifts from Christ, that when you're a born-again Christian, when you're saved, that Christ gave you a gift from his likeness. And he quotes, or at least alludes to, Psalm 68 to support this. Now, it's uh, especially a reference to verse 18, but it's really more of an allusion than a quote, but it's an interesting passage. In fact, Psalm 68, 18 through 20 goes like this. It says, You have ascended on high, and you have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among people, even among the rebellious as well, that the Lord may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens, the God who is our salvation. God is to us a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs, ways of escape from death. So Paul takes this passage, this chapter, and he alludes to it, and he pulls out this word ascended, 
to make an argument for us. And it's a very complicated couple of verses. Uh, very interesting there. A lot of people think when Paul's talking about how Christ descended, that he's talking about how after he died, uh, there's a belief that after he died, he went to hell for those three days. That's an okay interpretation. The other option, which is the one I hold, is that the descending to the lower parts refers to his birth in the manger in Bethlehem. It refers to Christmas. So in other words, Paul is saying, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, this psalmist prophesied that God himself would step out of heaven, be born as a human in Bethlehem, go to the cross, die, resurrect from the grave, and ascend 40 days after the resurrection. And the picture he gives is one of a victorious king. A lot of times back then, these kings, when they won stuff, they would have songs sung about them, and they would not only receive the spoils of victory, but then they would also dish out these spoils of victory to their people that were following them. And that's kind of what Psalm 68 is alluding to. It's picturing God as being this victorious king who's leading all these people in his wake, and he's receiving gifts from people because he's victorious. And then Paul turns that around and says, but he's also giving these gifts of his victory to you. And he points to Christ, referring to Christ's victory for you. Because what's our greatest enemy but our sin and our greatest enemy but death? So when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he defeated our greatest enemy, which is sin. When he rose from the grave, he defeated one of our greatest enemies with his death. And then when he ascended into heaven 40 days later and those clouds came behind him so he disappeared, he was walking into the throne room to sit down on his throne. And when he sat down on his throne, he took the spoils of his victory, and he lavishes them on you with your faith in Christ. Aren't you glad that Jesus is your king? Aren't you glad that he gives the spoils of his victory to you just by faith in him? So Paul, he's referring to that in these passages, and he points out in these things that One of these spoils of victories are what we call spiritual gifts of grace. These are not things that save you. These are works. These are gifts. These are abilities that God gives you when you're saved. And this passage actually points out several things about them. One, they're gifts only given to Christians. Paul is talking to Christians here in verses 7 through 11 and 13. He's not talking to everybody. In other words, it's only to Christians that Christ gives us these spiritual gifts. Secondly, it's to every Christian. If you have believed in Christ, you at least have one spiritual gift from Christ. Every Christian has them. Third, nobody has all the gifts. The whole point, I mean, think about it. What is the point he's making here? The whole point is that We have a diversity. We have differences. He doesn't give everybody all the gifts so that we have to rely on each other because nobody's perfect. Everybody's from Jesus. And the fourth of or the fifth one is this, that they're from his fullness. Your spiritual gift as a believer in Christ, as it says in verse 10, is a tiny slice of how Christ works, how he thinks, and how he feels. The tiny slice, how Christ works, how he thinks, and how he feels. So your spiritual gift is not just an ability. 
It's a little bit of Christ. It's almost like this. When you get saved, Christ makes you clean. And after you're saved and after you're clean, Christ comes and he begins to fill you up with himself. And the thing is that as you get filled up with Christ, you begin to look like Christ on the inside. These aren't just spiritual gifts. These are tiny parts of Jesus that is exactly how he thinks, feels, and works. When I was uh, a a kid, toddler, I'm a twin, and we were not too picky, but when you have twins, you try to do everything you can to make sure they're happy because you got two of them that could scream. And that's my parents' strategy was for us, do whatever they can to make sure we don't scream. And they found out that we liked carrots. So my mom was like, cool, we'll have carrots for breakfast, carrots for lunch, carrots for dinner. We'll chop up the carrots, we'll boil the carrots, we'll stew the carrots, we'll eat raw carrots. We'll have carrots all the time because at least they won't scream. After a while, they noticed something about me and my brother. Our pale white skin was starting to get a reddish tint to it. And so they begin to worry. They're going, maybe they have a rash. Maybe they've been poisoned or something. So they rush over to the doctor. They ask him what's going on. The doctor looks at us and goes, huh, these boys like carrots, don't they? They kind of stood back. They're like, yeah, how did you know they eat carrots? We feed them that all the time. He said, carrots have beta carotene in them. And that's what makes them look orange. And what happens is the kids have gotten so filled with carrots they begin to look orange just like the carrots. They begin to take on the orange quality of carrots. That's how it is after you are saved and brought close to the Christ. We get, you come to Christ and you get filled with Christ until you get so filled with Christ that the characters of Christ begins to show in your life too. And so we see in this passage, he says we've got that Christ has given us different gifts from his likeness. And the point he's going to move on to make of this is this is not something that's just for your benefit. He doesn't just do this to make you happier or to make your life better. He does this so you can help others. Remember what chapters 1 through 3 is talking about. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians is all about how great salvation is and how much we should love God and love Jesus because of our salvation. So that raises the point, why should we care to be filled with Christ? Why should we care that others be filled with Christ? And their answer is because we just love Jesus for saving us. We care to be filled with Christ's likeness if we love Jesus. We care for others to be filled with Christ's likeness because we love Jesus. And so the point he makes at the beginning of this is you as a believer in Christ has been given a spiritual gift from Christ's likeness and that means two things for you today first recognize that you do have a spiritual gift now you can't say well I'm not very useful I've heard this before like I'm not very useful I don't have any skills that the church can take a part of I I don't really know what to do there's no way I can really help out according to this passage that's not true if you place your faith in Christ God has given you something that you can contribute to the church in some way. You have a gift. So recognize that. And the second thing is recognize that it's for others. A Christianity that's about only benefiting yourself is a Christianity that lacks a love for Christ. 
And so then in the next few verses, inside verse 10 and 11, sorry, in verse 11, Paul goes on and in verses 11 through 16, which I said we're not going to go all the way to 16, Paul begins to tell these three steps that every church member then should take because Christ has given you something from his likeness. And we'll talk about the first step only today. And, the, and so well, let me read that real quick for you again to refresh what, what's going on. It says in verse 11, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So the first step every believer and every church member should take You should be equipped to use your gift. Be equipped to use your gift. Verse 11, Paul pulls out and he says these list of people, and he lists these spiritual gifts or these people that God has given to the church. These are spiritual giftedness in some way that Christ has given some people, but they're also people that God has gifted to the church for a specific reason. He says, not, in other words, these are not exhaustive to live. Not everybody is a verse 11 person, but every church has verse 11 people in it. He says these apostles, these were specifically the 12 men that Jesus called out and made his closest friends. It also could be applied to anybody that saw the res- resurrected Savior themselves. So today, that, that office is not filled by any person. The legacy of the apostles is this book here. It's the only one that's not a person anymore. The prophets were people, and we usually think about prophets as people that can foretell the future, but more than anything, the prophets didn't foretell the future. They took scripture and they applied it to specific life situations. So the prophet is a person who is gifted at understanding how scripture applies to unique and specific life situations you're going through. And they can point out where scripture touches your life. The evangelist is is somebody who is uh, passionate about the lost, who has a giftedness at seeing lost people saved, who want other people to see lost people saved. And then the pastor and teacher in the Greek is actually uh, in a construct that shows this is the same person. So it's not pastor and teacher, it's pastor, teacher, one person with a hyphen between them. The word pastor is literally the word for shepherd. Did y'all know that? We use the word pastor because that's, that comes from the Greek and Latin, but the pastor literally means a shepherd. It's somebody who has a desire to help and care. And then the teacher is somebody gifted with the ability to explain Scripture well. What I want you to see in these verses is these don't have to be paid professionals. Think about it. He's talking to the church of Ephesians with this verse. The church of Ephesians did not have a full-time board of of paid full-time professionals with seminary degrees in them. He's talking to a church that maybe had one pastor and everybody else was volunteers. And he said, you still have prophets, pastor teachers, and evangelists in your group. These don't have to be paid people by the church. They can be you. The, um, you would hope, you know, when you go and you do pay somebody who has an official title like I do, or if the church was to one day go out and get an outreach director or a discipleship director that was paid, you would hope they would have one of these spiritual gifts or more. But that doesn't mean that you only, only the ones that are paid are the ones that have it. 
And he then, in verse 12, shows why God gave these people to the church, these specific individuals, what their responsibility is, and then what everybody else's responsibility is. And I want you to notice what verse 12 says. Does it say that the prophets, evangelists, and pastors do the work of ministry? Does it say that the pastors, evangelists, and prophets, that they do all the building up of the body of Christ? No, it says the saints do the work of ministry, and the saints build up the body of Christ. And what do the prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists do? They equip the saints to the work of ministry in the church. To equip literally means to train, to set right, to make perfect. So in other words, God has gifted our church with individuals whose spiritual giftedness is to train you to use your giftedness. And it's not the job of those few individuals to do all the work of the church. It's the job of those few individuals to show you how you can do the work of the church. Verse 11, these people equip, then all the saints do. And then look when the job is ended, how long we should keep this up. To attain means to reach a goal, and measure down in verse 13 is, is uh, almost like a a measuring stick that has reached perfection or is filled. In other words, he says, we keep doing this until every member of the body of Christ looks, acts, and feels exactly like Christ. The verse 11 people keep equipping. Everybody else keeps building until every single member on our role looks and feels and acts like Christ until everybody attains to the unity of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's when our job is over here. So what happens is is Christ begins to pour into you as a believer and begins to fill you up and make you look more like him on the inside. You then take that and you begin to pour that in other people around you and begin to make them also be filled with the fullness of Christ until they also begin to take on the qualities of Christ themselves. And the first step in doing that is being equipped to use your gift. Because the thing is, just because you have a gift from Christ as a believer doesn't mean that you are perfect at using it, nor does it mean that you should, be, you should do it without fear, that fear isn't involved at all. Fear has nothing to do with whether you have the gift or not, and neither does your ability just to jump in without training. I like to think of people who end up being NFL quarterbacks. And sometimes I think about how many guys out there probably had the physical abilities to be an NFL quarterback but aren't in the league because they didn't do anything with that physical ability. Because nobody becomes an NFL quarterback by accident. Nobody's just born an NFL quarterback. You have to be equipped. It doesn't matter if you're able to read defenses as best as you can and see the holes and stuff. It doesn't matter if you have the stature and the strength to sustain hits. It doesn't matter if you have the arm that can throw a football 50 yards or like a laser down the field. And it doesn't matter if you have the agility to juke around and see the open man. If you're not equipped as a quarterback, you're not going to the NFL. You have to go to people who are gifted at equipping quarterbacks. And you have to go to them and let them equip you Let them train you. Let them show you how to practice so you can get better. Let them give you the knowledge of how to use that giftedness. And you have to be, and then you can be equipped. Then you can go out and win NFL football games. 
And our spiritual gifts are the same way. Just because you have a spiritual gift doesn't mean you're perfect at using it. doesn't mean you don't have any fear. You have to go to the places and to the people whom God has gifted at equipping you to use your gift. So do you want to know how church cannot be uh, boring, how it can be exciting instead of a bore, or a blessing instead of a bore? Do you want to know how it feels to get that fullness of Christ in your life or in your family or in your kids? And the answer is use your giftedness the way Christ has made you to by being equipped to do that in the first place. In fact, the main takeout we have today is God gave your gift from his likeness so that you can help others grow in Christ's likeness. And until you learn that your gift is made for other people and not yourself, your relationship to the church and your relationship to the fullest of God is not going to feel complete. So this means as, as we um, look at this passage, that there's two challenges I want to put before you today before we close. And the first of those is this. Are you being equipped and are you taking advantage of the opportunities our church gives to equip you? Because maybe perhaps the reason you don't know what your gift is is because you haven't sought very hard to be equipped by the church. And we got great opportunities here. In December, we'll have an, probably have an outreach meeting. And the out, part of the point of the outreach meetings is to equip you with the uh, skills of the evangelists. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism. It could, it could scare you to do that. It, you can be like, I'm no good at it. That's not the point. The point of the outreach meeting is not for all the evangelists to get together. The point is to equip you in using those people who are gifted at it. Well, the outreach meetings are a great opportunity to take advantage of that. We also have classes, 6.30 on Wednesdays. We have 10 o'clock small groups here. For all ages, children through adults, are you taking advantage of those opportunities? We have amazing teachers who are gifted with an ability to apply Scripture to your life and explain the Bible to you. I would recommend every single class at this church. We have people that are prophets and teachers in this church. Are you taking advantage of the opportunity to be equipped in those classes? So perhaps the reason that you haven't felt like you belong, you haven't felt like it's complete, is because you haven't been seeing the church as a place to be equipped for you to do ministry. And that's the second challenge I'm going to put for you today. And that is, are you moving on from being equipped into actually being a builder of the church? Because here's the thing, like, like he's pointing out here, it's, there's one thing to be equipped, but at some point there needs to be a switch that goes off and you, instead of being equipped and equipped and equipped and equipped, you go, okay, it's time for me to actually start doing the work of the ministry and start building the body of Christ. Has that switch flipped for you? Are you still feeling like you're needing to be equipped? Or are you ready to start becoming a builder in the church? By the way, that doesn't just apply to people who are in middle age. That can apply to youth. And that can apply to people who are seniors too. They, we can still, you can still be a builder no matter what your age is. And it doesn't have to be that you teach a class. You know, sometimes I talk to people about doing stuff for the church, and they, the first thing out of their mouth is, well, I can't teach a class. Does this passage say the teacher is the only gift God gives people? You don't have to be a teacher in order to build up the body of Christ. He gives people different gifts so we can do different things. 
You know, you could have the gift of, of generosity, giving of your money, giving of your time, giving of your, um, of your energy, the gift of generosity. You could have the gift of encouragement or mercy. And we could still use that gift. It could be informally. You know, like, you just notice that somebody hasn't been here in a while, and instead of waiting on somebody to tell you to do something about that, you just say, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to visit that person. I'm going to call that person. I'm going to write them a note and just tell them we've been missing them, just informally with nobody meaning to you. That's how you can use that gift to build up the body of Christ. If you want it to be informal, I can help you with that. I can give you a list of people that are, that are some way connected to our church, and you can say, I'm going to contact these people once a month until they either come to our church or go somewhere else. And use your gift of encouragement in that. You don't have to be paid by the church, and you don't have to have an official title given to you by the nominating committee to be a servant. You just have to be willing to use your gift in some way. And see yourself not just as somebody who feeds from the church, but somebody who's going to build the church. And that's my two challenges for you today. And so as we look at this passage and we see how to work in our unity, we see God has purposely given us differences for us to serve in our diversity and in a way in that diversity make us more unified. And so he gave us gifts from his likeness so we can help others grow in Christ's likeness. And the first step of that is that we need to be equipped to use your gift. So the next few moments we're going to pray and I'll let you respond to whatever God has laid on your heart. Maybe God is speaking to you that you need to start seeking to be equipped to use your gift. Or he's telling you that you need to move on and begin to become a builder in the church. Whatever God has laid on your heart, you do that. Maybe God has laid on your heart that you need to take the next step in being a part of this church by becoming a member or getting baptized. Say yes to him today. Or maybe you come here and you just feel like you want some fullness, you need some peace, you need to find a reason for life. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose from the grave.